This is the Bob Olin Show on KDAL. And away we go with the Bob Olin Show here on the 12th of December. Good morning to you, Bob. Well, good morning, Dave. Uh, nice day in the Northland. Yeah. yeah, not so bad. It's been an interesting December, hasn't it, so far? <laughs> Certainly has. It looks like uh, brown Christmas is more likely than they thought earlier. Maybe a 50-50 shot at it with uh, no major storms in the forecast for the next week or so. Isn't that something? No, I can hardly remember a brown Christmas. Yeah, I know it. We, uh, it's, uh, it's pretty remarkable. Remember last year at this time we had the start of all the snow, <laughs> heavy snow dump early, and it oh, kept yeah. right on going through the rest of the year. So uh, one thing that's for sure, you never know really for certain what's coming, do you? That's right. We uh, have ever-changing weather here in the Northland. Uh, looks like, uh, well, let's see, uh, 30s tomorrow after 20s today, and then 40s again on Thursday with uh, warmer conditions, a little short of the record, but still much warmer than it should be this time of year. Yeah, that's for sure. And, uh, again, we go back to uh, the fact that we're going to be melting a little bit of snow blanket we had. I'd like yeah. to have a little snow on top of our our spring flowering bulbs, our tulips and other things, our garlic. We'd like uh, like those protected, I think. It may be more important than ever if people haven't had the opportunity uh, get a good layer of mulch on top of any of these spring flowering bulbs or any of the tender perennials because uh, we're bound to have some cold temperatures here. It doesn't look like we're going to have much snow at all to protect them, so we're going to have to rely on uh, some kind of an insulating mulch just to bring them through. That can be very significant. You know, we've talked about clean straw. We like that. Uh, that's an excellent mulching material. There are going to be bags, still. If you haven't had a chance to rake all the leaves, you can still pick those up uh, in smaller situations. We like them put in garbage bags so they retain the loft. They don't compress. As soon as we compress, we get rid of the air. We lose the insulating value. So if you can, get them bagged and uh, get them on top of things. Uh, I think we have warm conditions uh, still coming. So if there's still some leaves, as a matter of fact, I'm going to be doing that. I've got uh, <laughs> you know some leaves that didn't get completely picked up and uh Going to use them as mulch. They're better as a mulch on top or in a compost pile than they are sitting on top of your grass. So, boy, that's a uh, a late uh, uh, Thanksgiving, <laughs> uh, early Christmas activity in the yard that we haven't seen in a long, long time, have we? Yeah, you can uh, rake leaves in the middle of December, which is pretty strange, I guess. Pretty strange, yeah. We've got everything, uh, you know, things are pretty dormant, and you might even, there's some opportunities from, for some winter pruning. I like the late yeah. winter pruning uh but uh this is now that things are dormant still consider a dormant prune so there may be an opportunity for some folks there as well but dave you know most folks have moved inside it's kind of interesting we talked a little bit about thanksgiving christmas cacti last uh last week's program and someone came up to me and had heard this had a kind of an interesting story uh she was giving out um cuttings from her christmas cactus which was a family uh, what I call a heritage or an heirloom plant that had been passed down for generations. Mm-hmm. And then uh, she uh, kept some herself. She passed them out to friends just as Christmas gifts. And then uh, she lost the plant. They uh, either lost the heat or something, and, and she lost the, the family heirloom plant. Oh. said she was devastated, and some of her cuttings did not take. But lo and behold, uh Someone who she's given cuttings to brought them back to here. So here was this family <laughs> plant that had left. Someone had taken cuttings, been very successful taking those cuttings, brought her a cutting or slipped back again, and she was able to reestablish this family heirloom plant. So I thought it was kind of a kind of an interesting uh, interesting story. 
you know, these are very slow-growing plants. We uh, talk about the uh, the Christmas cactus. They're, they're really, really nice gift plants. So easy to grow. They they actually prefer low light. So in most cases, unless you've got bright, sunny southern windows, you got a north window. We're always looking for plants that do well on the north side of the house or perhaps the east side of the house where there isn't typically a whole lot of light, particularly this time of year. Thanksgiving cactus, Christmas cacti, the Easter cacti, all a little bit different, bloom at slightly different times, have slightly different uh, leaf shapes, but uh, they really are exceptional plants for low light. Uh, you know, great gift plants. I see a lot of them in the stores right now. And uh, the, the people will oftentimes ask, how do you bring them into bloom? They struggle with that a little bit. Uh, but uh, nice green plants, you've got to have a pretty good mature plant before they're going to bloom for most of us. And you have to have good growing conditions during the during the uh, summer months. We want good light, but you never want them exposed to bright sunlight. This is one of the plants that uh, I little I recommend. Uh, oftentimes, we bring green plants outside. They get get a little bit more sun during the summer growing months. Of mm-hmm. course, when we don't have any frost, but this is one you have to be extremely careful of. And I don't know that it's always advisable to put it outside. It does not like bright light. So. Wow. If you've got a, a darker house uh, and uh, northern uh, exposures, uh, then I think that group of uh, holiday plants, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter cacti, are just about ideal. Don't have to transplant them very often. They like mm-hmm. to be contained. I think if there's one problem we have with these plants, uh, people tend to overwater them a little bit. Uh, make sure that uh, you, you don't want those roots waterlogged. Make sure you've got good drainage. Uh, use your... Uh, the old finger test and stick it in the soil and if it's moist an inch and a half down don't water yet uh, mm-hmm. so water sparingly uh, let it grow out over time don't be too impatient let it become root bound and then one of the real triggers uh, to getting these to bloom and of course it's the bloom that is so magnificent and they are beautiful on, on all of these right. uh, this entire group uh, we have something called temperature differential you wanted the temperatures warmer during the day maybe uh, 65 to 70 in that range while there's daylight, and then you got to drop that temperature at night down to 55 or 60. Very cool at night, uh, not hot during the day, but warmer during the day, and it's that temperature differential as well as the declining daylight that triggers them into into bloom. And not too difficult once they're mature, but they are durable. You can take cuttings uh, from them, as this woman did, and, um, you know, she didn't have success with hers. And I, I, I kind of asked her about that, and she said she wasn't sure why. Uh, you know, these are really the flattened uh, stems. These are not leaves that we see on these plants. They're, they're thick, fleshy stem material. And from stems, one of the differences between stems and leaves is stems will produce buds. And uh, in this case, you take those segments off. They pull apart real easily. And if you'll stick them in a, a well-drained rooting media, and again, not exposing to bright light. They don't like that. But if you've got maybe a combination of perlite and vermiculite, these are materials that drain very, very well. Keep that moist. And that's a real good rooting media. And they do tend to root uh, quite readily. And they do make, again, nice gifts, as this woman had done. And you never know when that gift may return to you at a time when you really appreciate it, as she did. So I thought that was really kind of a neat story. How She still had that family air balloon. I've got my mother's uh, Christmas cactus, which is very dear to me, and I try to take good care of that. Yeah. And uh, it has a little bit of sentimental value, and I think they will grow for, well, this one's probably 40 or 50 years Holy old. Holy so cow. They can, be, they can be very, very long-lived. 
plants. Kind of surprising and, be, being a cactus that they don't like bright light, but I guess that's a different type of cactus than one you'd find in the desert. Yeah, it is It is different. It's not the prickly type. It, no. it does conserve moisture, so they're, they're different species, certainly, but they're, they're in this bigger group called cacti, and uh, just like the desert cacti, these are native to uh, actually uh, the tropical rainforest in the upper mm. trees in uh, Central America, Costa Rica is where a lot of the original plant material came from. And uh, they're up and they don't really have uh, roots that get down into the soil. So they're, uh, they grow in the moss and the upper, upper trees. So they've developed this mechanism for retaining moisture. So uh-huh. they'll get, the, they'll get the moisture from the rains and the high humidity. But because they don't have a root system that goes down into the soil, there's no reservoir of moisture for them. So they really developed this, uh, they're very thick stems that help them conserve moisture. That's why we want to water. We're going to be developing roots on them when we get them in our potting soil. We do want to water them, of course, mm-hmm. but uh, we don't want to overwater because they're not really accustomed uh, to too much moisture, Dave. So very interesting plant, mm-hmm. beautiful, nice holiday plant, really quite easy to grow. And uh, over overwatering, I think, is one of the worst things, or too much bright light. Other than that, uh, uh, they're they're quite indestructible. I did learn once when I set them out that the deer love these a lot of oh, other no. things. So I, yeah. <laughs> you got to be pretty careful that way. But they'll come back again from the roots. But uh, that's one another reason why it's one of the house plants that uh, I hesitate to recommend putting them out. Certainly never in the direct sunlight. They sun scald and sunburn very very readily. Great plants for the holidays, so Dave. All right, we'll take a little break, Bob, and be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show here on KDAL. We're at nine twenty six. By the way, you can not only uh, call in your questions at 722-0839, you can also text us at that number. We have a new number you can text now. If you don't want to be on the air, you can text your question to 218-722-0839. Once again, Bob Olin. Bob, we've been talking about uh, keeping uh, holiday plants healthy and wealthy (laughs) through the uh, season. Another one, I guess, would be amaryllis. A lot of those I notice in the stores. Uh, Any special deal with those? Boy, those plants are so marvelous <laughs> and so simple. Uh, yeah, they make another great gift plant. I've, I've given all these, and, you know, they're not really that expensive, and yeah. they bring a lot of joy. It is, you know, it is the time of of uh, giving, and, and they bring a lot of joy to people. You know, give candy. There's someone that's on a diet. They don't like the candy, but that's really, I've never had anyone that turns down a turns down a plant amaryllis beautiful okay uh, we get the we get the bulbs uh this is a plant again that can uh, keep right on giving i mentioned that the holiday cactus christmas cactus right. thanksgiving cactus don't like like amaryllis is just the opposite uh-huh. now, what you're going to buy there is the bulb and uh there's a there's a great deal of variability they are they are typically uh a brilliant red or scarlet red in color but mm-hmm. there's a great deal of variability and there actually are uh, amaryllis societies where they uh they really take a look at all the different colors and, and features. Very easy to grow. All you right. got to do is one of these like instant coffee. All you got to do is add water. Sounds like my uh, kind of plant. Easy to grow. These are real easy to grow. You got <laughs> the bulb that's been produced, and a little, little trickier to get them to reflower. But the mm-hmm. the flower itself is is actually been preformed. It's down in the bulb, not unlike a tulip or other things, yeah. other bulbs, spring flowering bulbs. Very large bulb, lots of uh, plant material there, lots of carbohydrate for it to grow on. So you just add water, and then you can pop up that uh, flowering stock as well as we call a strap leaves. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that can be done uh, in very low light conditions. It doesn't really matter where you put it. You just add water, and it's going to grow. Now, 
the real tricky thing is to uh, get that plant again to rebloom in future years. Now, in that particular situation, after that uh, that plant has shot up the flower stock and produced typically multiple flowers, they're very beautiful. Mm-hmm. In a hot, dry house, they don't last real long, but they're, they certainly are magnificent. You're left with the flower stock without a flower on it, so you want to cut that flower stock off, and then you've got these long, what's called strap leaves. They look like leather straps, and uh, this, of course, is the the green portion of the plant that's going to produce all the sugars and ultimately blooming for the next uh, several years. Now you want to find, in this case, a bright light southern window because they they do like it warmer and they like plenty of light. And uh, you want to let that grow through the growing season. Coming into the uh, summer months, you might want a little bit of curtain-filtered light. We don't want anything gets too hot if you've got a summer window, but certainly they like uh, the sun of a southern window. Uh, the whole key here is to to really let them grow because during the growing season, we're talking about the summer months now, uh, this is when they're going to produce the extra sugar that goes down to set up the bulb. And um, sometimes that first year, if you have a small plant, you just want to let it grow out. And then in future years, that second summer, then again, you're going to continue to water. You're going to fertilize when the uh, when the light's available. We don't want any fertility during the dark time of the year here. But when the days are getting longer, maybe starting in February, we want a little more fertility for that amaryllis. We want a lush green plant. And uh, maybe in the second year, we come along that second year when we've had lots of good green growth on there, and then we just let the plant go go dormant. Again, we're going to set up this bulb. So about in October, so we cut off the water. You can cut back on the light, and uh, some of the strap leaves will fall back. And, and now you've got that bulb there. And once again... To, to get it to bloom, you just have to have to add water, and then wow. the, uh, both the strap leaves as well as the uh, the flowering shoot and buds have preformed down in that bulb. So extra sugar during the uh, growing season stores in the bulb, let it go dormant, and then it'll come back and uh, it'll give you additional bloom. Then you repeat that same kind of process. So once again, as I mentioned with the holiday cacti, amaryllis can last for years and years, and they can become uh, family heirloom plants. So both of these plants, with a little bit of care and instruction, mm-hmm. uh, can be gifts that keep on giving for multiple years for you, Dave. So All right. that's another real great one. Yeah. Bob, we're going to head to the phone and see what we got here. Uh, who's this? Rod. Go ahead, Rod. Good uh, morning, Bob, Rod. Good morning. I've got a, uh, a cedar bush that uh, has grown a little bit big, bigger than I want it to be, and it's about six feet tall, and I would like to cut it down about a foot off of it. When is the best time to do that? And okay, uh, you want to be you know be be a little bit careful. If you just cut just cut that main leader, the top leader, uh, you're going to reduce the size of it. But it, it, uh, we get these multiple leaders that form. So if you can, you, we want to prune those ideally on the new growth, which is going to come next June. And uh, you can shear them back. If you shear them back, they're going to be uh, much denser for you. That makes a nice formed tree. So I think pruning up cedar like that is is a good idea. Um, if you do, if you want to feel like you absolutely have to reduce the height of it, uh, you're going to interfere a little bit with the natural what we call conical that cone shape that it has. But you can do that, and then you're going to. You're going to get multiple shoots that are going to come off from the top portion of the tree in this case, and you want to 
plan on doing a little bit of light pruning every year to to kind of return return that to a more classic uh, tree-like or conical shape. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, but this is this is more of a bush. You know, it's more it's, of a uh, bush. Okay. It's spread out. It's it's probably about uh, probably ten twelve feet in diameter, and and oh boy, been, okay. I have been uh, you know trimming the tops on it, but in the last couple of years, it kind of got away from me, and and I'd sure. like to take I'd like to take it down some. So, uh, sure. Uh, prune on the new growth then across uh, you know across the entire plant to keep it uh, contained. And then uh, don't over prune, and just uh, if you can plan on pruning annually, you know you can get out there with a hedge, uh, hedge electric hedge cutter, or just a snips, and just go to work on it. So it isn't too much work for you, but just mark it on the calendar, get it pruned annually. It'll, 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 you'll contain the size of it. They are uh, great native plants. Uh, the uh, there are a number of introduced varieties that are a little bit more dwarf and compact. Uh, the regular cedars, of course, want to grow into full length trees. What you can't do is you can't prune back under that woody material. If we prune back under that woody material, we really don't have buds that are going to fill back in. So you have to stay under the vegetative growth, and uh, you you have to prune uh, annually on the new growth that appears. The best time to do that, then, is in the spring, not now. Yeah, I would be pruning. Uh, you could prune now, but, you know, we're coming into the winter. This is different than an apple. This is an evergreen, and we really want to prune those on, on new growth. Very slow-growing, very dense wood from, in, native to the area. We've got a lot of cultivars, but we have native uh, eastern white uh, cedar, of course, that's throughout the area. Uh, the deer love them, so, you, Rod, you've evidently... Uh, Managed to figure out uh, how to keep it away from the deer, huh? Yeah, the deer have never bothered this, although there are deer around. They bother everything else, but they haven't bothered this one. <laughs> Boy, that's, that is just amazing because you can drive down the road, you can see so many uh, cedar that are pruned right up to the deer level where you've got <laughs> big, long tree trunk, and then everything is kind of light up at about the five-foot level or six-foot yeah. level yeah. where they yeah. prune them all down. Yeah, so uh, if you haven't had that problem, that's tremendous. Yeah. Right. Uh, another another quick question. Uh, when should I prune my uh, grapevine? Okay. Again, uh, you're talking about a, a hardy grape like a uh, Valiant or a Bluebell or a Beta, not wine grapes. Is that right? Uh, they're well. We we use them. We use them as uh, uh, for uh, juice, and they. They, uh, juice. The juice is just like uh, Welch's grape juice, and you don't even need sure. any sugar in it. They're very sweet. But they yeah, real nice. I, I think, yeah, these we're going to prune in the spring, and I'm assuming it's it's probably either Valiant or Beta, nice, nice deep uh, uh, purple f- uh, fruit on it. Is that correct? That, that's and, correct, uh, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're really, uh, rather than trying to get some of the... the the wine grapes, which, of course, are spread. We've got a number of introductions from the University of Minnesota, but hardiness is always the issue, particularly on a on a year like this. But you've got uh, beta. You know, that was crossed from our native uh, river grape, so it's going to be good and hardy, and it'll make a nice juice. Some people do make wine out of it quite successfully, but most people it's going to be uh, juicing. And uh, those can be pruned back in the spring. So I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't even consider it right now. I'd be pruning those uh, next spring. And you can prune them back pretty aggressively. As you know, they come back uh, pretty vigorously, good, vigorous plants. 
Yeah, they really do. Yeah. Hey, thanks for the call. Yeah, and yep, yeah, I think you. that's that's yeah. interesting. You know, I do have uh, questions from people that have difficulty growing uh, some of these, and usually mm-hmm. it's going to be sun related. You know, they do like full sun. Good drainage and full sun is the key if you're going to be growing. Um, if you're going to be growing these hardy grapes. And again, be careful in the variety selection because, uh, to my knowledge, now we've always got new introductions, but we go back to this is probably Beta, which he has, uh, which I believe was the University of Minnesota introduction. We've got one from South Dakota called uh, Bluebell, which is a good hardy variety, and then another one called Valiant, which is probably uh, one of my favorites, and that's because it's, it's very, very aggressive. Uh, you get a very, very nice plant. Uh, full sun, good drainage. That's key and if you're having trouble with them either you've got a heavy clay or you've got trees that have grown i I get the comment well it produced so well for so many years not producing longer that's usually the trees around it have grown up and or the water patterns have changed so full sun good drainage and good hardy varieties those three bluebell beta and valiant are the three i'd recommend pruning in the spring easy to handle easy to care for make uh, just a great uh juicing uh, grape well, much less work for them to do this fall. All the pruning can be done in the spring, so take it easy. Is, along with everything else. There you, you go. Do it in the spring, right? uh, 940, we'll take another break. We'll be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show on KDAL. All right, Bob, we've talked about uh, Christmas cactus, Thanksgiving cactus, poinsettias, amaryllis. How about, uh, what, holly? Is holly something we can grow? Oh, holly is. Uh, glad you mentioned it. You know, we've got a group of these... Uh, Greener plants. We have mm-hmm. some native hollies in oh. the Helix is, is a genus called winterberry, and you can actually see them in our landscapes. You're driving up. They they like they kind of prefer uh, damper areas, and you, when you're driving along areas where it's low and and the swampy, oftentimes you'll see a plant with the red berries on it. Uh, oh. Common name is winterberry, and that's our winter holly, and that's our native holly. Uh, a lot of the other hollies that uh, you know are a little bit more. You've got the sharp needles, have got the uh, the green leaves on them. They're really not hardy in this area, and they come out of the Pacific Northwest, uh-huh. uh, by and large, that group, and then they're they're harvested and they're brought in. But that's that's another good plant. You know, all of these are kind of uh, the winter stolsis plants. Dave, do you know this will be our last program before the <laughs> shortest day of the year, the longest night, the winter solstice? I had to look this up because, you know, it, it changes every year. It's, it's generally uh, December... Uh, 21st or 22nd. Yeah. It will be on the 21st this year. It'll okay. be at 927. It's the longest, it's the shortest day, longest night. And this is when, of course, the earth is farthest from the sun. And, um, and it's when we really have to, uh, be a little bit conscious of, uh, the amount of light that's available for our houseplants. We talked about so many of these. Let's not overwater. Let's not apply any fertility. Let's just let them sit and get through this real dark period. I think, Dave, and you're really pretty good at tracking the uh, the day lengths, but mm. there's a period of about 10 days where nothing much happens there, where <laughs> the days are very gradually getting shorter, and then yeah. they very gradually get longer. So this is kind of the deepest, darkest uh, time during the winter months, and it's kind of interesting. This is where so many of our uh, holiday traditions came from. Uh, this was in, I guess we owe a lot of these Christmas trees. They actually predate... Sure. Uh, Christ, they go back into the Celtic time when it was so dark. And uh, you can imagine not understanding the solar system and so forth. Mm-hmm. It's getting darker and darker and colder and colder, and you wonder if this is ever going to end and if <laughs> spring is going to return. 
So the Druids, which were the uh, priestly class of the Celts, and of course we think mainly of uh, the British Isles, or, you know, Wales and Scotland and Ireland and the Druids and so forth from from that particular uh, part of the world, uh, they really uh, took advantage a little bit of some of these real dark periods and introduced a lot of our, our traditions, uh, which involved uh, green plants, uh, the holly being one of them, uh, mistletoe being another one uh, that were still green, the evergreens, of course, right. uh, just a sign of life at that time when things are getting darker and darker. And a lot of these plants were really incorporated into their original um, religious traditions at that particular time. Yule logs, another example, uh, you know, burning the log, getting some light that time of year. So you can imagine, we all know, and it, it's getting darker faster, and you remind us of that. We all are aware of that. 430 is pretty dark already. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I look so forward to the you, shortest day of the year because that means the next day is going to start getting longer by then. So yeah. once we and, hit the shortest, it's only up from there. It's only up from there, and even if it's cold, what's the difference? Right. We know we got a spring. We got a spring <laughs> time coming. But you did mention um, we've got some mistletoe as well, which is a, of ah. course a holiday plant. The mistletoe is a little bit different. We've been talking about uh, amaryllis, which has got roots and, and uh, gets down in the soil, and all the Christmas cacti and the poinsettias. They're all more typical green plants, which have stems, leaves, flowers, and then a root system. Mistletoe is just a little bit different. This is a true parasite, and the mistletoe that um, you can buy typically in the store. We have a native mistletoe, but it's very really? minuscule, and it's it's actually a. Uh, these are parasites. They're parasitic plants that, well, they can't have chlorophyll, so they're producing some of their own sugars. So they really can't supply the water that they need. They don't have a root system, uh, and the nutrients. So they actually live off another another plant and uh, the, the traditional mistletoe with the large green leafed mistletoe uh the co-host is really oak for the most part but they can grow on other types of trees as well but they can actually be detrimental to a tree because again they're they're parasitic so they don't mind harvesting them and taking them off and, and shipping them around around the country but most of that come from the pacific northwest there is that tradition with uh, mistletoe, of course, kissing under the mistletoe, and mm-hmm. uh, that goes back to some of the Norse um, traditions and some of the uh, gods and goddesses of that time. I understand that, uh, as I remember it, uh, there was a goddess that uh, whose son was killed by an arrow that supposedly was made by mistletoe, so her gesture toward peace was uh, part of this tradition of kissing under the mistletoe, and, and mistletoe became uh, a plant that... Uh, that was um, representative of, of peace and love, and that was her response to losing her son, uh, one of the other gods uh-huh. there, uh, to this arrow that was supposedly made from uh, from mistletoe. So mistletoe is a little different than all the rest. Uh, you're not going to be able you can keep it for quite a while. Again, it's got thick leaves, green leaves, um, but it's more of a holiday item that you might want to hang up, and I really don't know an easy way to get that one reestablished unless, <laughs> and you wouldn't want to put it on an oak tree because, no. again, it's, uh, it is a parasite and not real healthy. Um, I found I, that I that tradition have... works with any old plant, Bob. Just put something green up over the, uh, <laughs> over the doorway, and you got your own mistletoe. Maybe you could start a new tradition for us here, and, and something <laughs> that we could uh, we could hang up year after year, so <laughs> that'll grow out for us. There but, you uh, go. Again, our native we have some of the native hollies a little different, but we really don't have. We have a native mistletoe I mentioned, but they're very very small. You wouldn't see them, and they're on our black spruce 
They're a parasite. Uh, they could actually cause the, the death of spruce, and they oh. produce wishes, broom, and other things. So, uh, really, our, our native mistletoe doesn't count for much of the holiday tradition. Everything there is uh, more temperate, farther south. They're grown in the southern part of the United States as well as the Pacific Northwest. Well, we got the Christmas but, trees up here, and they don't have that down there. So that's our yeah, we've got claim to fame oh, in the wintertime. Absolutely, and I appreciate our call there from Rod that's, that's uh, sharing uh, his cedar there. We've got so many, and so many of our cultivated uh, Christmas trees really are sheared, and, and these green evergreens like that, we, we like to share on the new growth. In the case of spruce and balsam, this is what pops the buds and gives you a real nice, dense tree, so if people want to know the difference between you know, a, uh, a cultivated tree and our native trees, we can just take a look at balsam, your Typical balsam growing in the woods, it's, and I hate to say it, but uh, most people just refer to them as uh, weed trees. They grow quickly and don't last very long. They go down in windstorms ultimately and uh, don't have a real long lifespan as far as uh, pines and fir grow. But uh, they, they certainly uh, prune up very nicely. So uh, a commercial grower is going to be pruning, whether it be um, if it's a Fraser fir or if it's a white pine, they're going to be actually shearing these trees uh they start, I think, in about the third uh, third year of growth, wow. and uh, our spruce, they start uh, shearing there in the fourth or fifth year, and then they prune them for the next, uh, until they're ready to be marketed, and that can be six, seven, eight years, so once they start pruning, they got to get out there with a shear, and they have to wow. shear them down and shape them up, and, and this is what produces uh, that nice, dense plant. You can do the same. Uh, I do know people that have, have set out spruce uh, in particular, in their yards as small young seedlings and then uh, they actually uh, raise them as trees and I've got a friend he's, he harvests one every year and he continues <laughs> to prune uh, shearing is not real difficult but uh, yeah. you know you can use a pruning tool or you, you know commercially they use uh, big knives to actually shear them down but uh, again we're going to be shearing on the new growth just as we would uh, in Rod's situation with the white cedar but there's a thought. If you're going to be in your, your uh, homestead for a long period of time, just setting out some trees, and you can actually uh, produce your own balsam or spruce, shear them up when they get a little bit uh, size to them, and then uh, down the road you can harvest them uh, on a yearly basis. Kind of a fun activity. Yeah, We've for got, about uh, a six-foot tree, how long would it take to grow from a seedling to a six-footer? Oh boy, from a seedling. Now, usually what you're going to plant is going to be uh, one or two years bigger. old, oh, okay. the stock. So you're going to plant them, and they're, they're not small seedlings. They have a little bit more size to them than transplants, and you're probably going to be a uh, six foot tree. My guess would be probably about six or seven years. All right. In right. the process there, which is not, which is something that you can, you, you can bet. certainly handle. And uh, I just thought of, uh, thought of that because uh, this individual I know, told me he just cut his own tree, and I know he, he goes through this every year, shears them up. He's not commercial, doesn't have a cut-your-own yeah. operation. He just does it in his backyard. And puts a new and, one in uh, when he cuts one down, I imagine. That's right. He plants yeah. a couple. When he, because of the deer and the rabbits and everything else, he's <laughs> got to put plant more than one every year. I so see. He plants uh, <laughs> half a dozen or a dozen seedlings every year, and then he uh, he grows them out with the idea of harvesting them for his own Christmas tree. Kind right. of a nice activity. He's yeah. the only person I know that does that, but Others might want to give it a try as well. One more break, Bob, and we'll be back. More of the Bob Olin Show here on KDAL. All right, Bob, we are now less than two weeks away from Christmas. Have you got the tree up in your house yet? (laughs) 
Uh, you know, I, I usually <laughs> wait till late, and then I keep it, but uh, I do not yet, but it's going right. the next couple of days. Oh, couple okay. days here, I think. We're going to start a little early this year, and I know most people put them up right after Thanksgiving. But, uh, well, I know you keep them around much longer than most folks do. So. Oh, I love those trees. I mm-hmm. like to keep them fresh, and uh, i got to get through January, that cold period, so I keep them <laughs> typically well into February. You know, the ornaments come off and so forth. Right. Nonetheless, uh, I just love those trees. Uh, when you cut a fresh tree and... Once again, if you're out there and if you're buying or you're cutting your own, uh, the key is a nice sharp cut across the bottom, giving it all the moisture it needs. Forget about all the additives, and we've heard everything from carol syrup to bubble up to commercial products for keeping the needles on the tree. The key really is a nice fresh tree, a fresh cut at the bottom so that that vascular tissue is open. And uh, if you can find a cool area... Uh, where the temperature obviously above freezing, a five-gallon pail of water. If you let it sit there for 24 hours, it'll pick up a lot of that moisture. And if not, you put it in, uh, when you bring it in, you've got a a stand uh, with water in it. Don't let the the water go dry. So those first couple days in particular is important as that tree continues to pick up the moisture. If it dries down completely, then that vascular tissue closes down at the end, and you might Uh even want to take it out and make another fresh cut just so it can pick up enough moisture. Uh, straight across or diagonal? You know, it really doesn't make too much difference. Okay. Um, I saw a little work on that, and uh, at one time I was uh, kind of fond of doing diagonally. I thought mm-hmm. I might get a little bit more water uptake. It really doesn't make a lot of difference, but the fresh cut right. is what does make a difference on the bottom. And um, then if you can find a spot, obviously, where there's a little bit more humidity. Now, our balsam tree, the old Charlie Brown trees, which are short-needled and uh the wrap on them is that they drop their needles so quickly, and they will if that tree is, has been wow. cut earlier and it isn't real fresh and uh, you don't have all the water that can pick up. So the, the Fraser firs, now balsam fir and Fraser fir, Fraser fir is probably the number one uh, tree nationwide right now. And we have some um, some crosses that are sold by our commercial folks and grown out here of Fraser. Fraser came out of the North Carolina uh, Appalachian Mountains, just a very limited range, but then they, they're now grown throughout the country in a lot of different uh, different places, different cultivars of the Fraser. Fraser does tend to hold its needles a little tighter. It's got a lightly bluer color, a little nicer needle on it, and I can see why it's a, a very, very desirable Christmas tree. Prunes up, gets real nice and dense. But our balsam's a kissing cousin, related, again, one of the firs, and if it's been pruned up and sheared, I mentioned that, that's how you get a dense tree. If you don't have a dense tree, you're going to have this Charlie Brown tree where there's lots <laughs> of space to hang <laughs> hang ornaments between it. But nonetheless, they're native. But again, the wrap on them is they drop their needles. The key there is, again, a good fresh tree. And if I've got a balsam, I'm putting that up. Uh, uh, it retains needles for a long, long time. But again, fresh, fresh cut and a uh, slightly cooler area where you're going to put it, slightly higher humidity, and uh, they can retain their needles for a long, long time. You want to just keep the, the right, where it sits full of water, or do you want to mist it or something, or is that not necessary? And, no, I don't think really misting is that. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I think that a lot of people feel good about all their green plants by misting. Yeah. Uh, you just uh, don't have much of an increase in the relative okay. humidity. The concept sounds great, but it evaporates so quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, increasing the humidity with uh, some kind of a, uh, a vaporizer or even what we call pebble trays, where you've got a shallow tray with marbles maybe in it or a P-Rock or something like that. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of surface and then moisture in that. Uh, so you can get the much more water evaporated up into your uh, into your environment there. Uh, we need a little bit more moisture than misting, so I don't think misting is necessary. Very good. Uh, on these, it 
does much good for you at all, Dave. Bob, we've got to wrap it up, and we'll be back again next Tuesday for another edition of the Bob Olin Show. Have a good rest of the week. Thank you, and the days will be getting longer, believe it or not, <laughs> on our next program. So well, not day, until Dave. the 21st. No. We've still got to get yeah, to yeah, uh, next 19th. Yeah, do we have another week? I guess yeah. we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> yeah, we got one more week before the longest day, so we don't want to rush that. Christmas go. is certainly coming fast enough, isn't it? <laughs> it certainly is. All right, Bob, thanks. We'll catch you next okay, week. Okay, Dave. Bye-bye now. Yeah, thanks.